United States Institute of Peace, along with Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124, now present their weekly podcast. China has expanded its presence in South Asia. That, in many ways, is reshaping the region all the way from the mountains of the Himalayas to the Indian Ocean. And the U.S. is trying to fulfill a vision of a free and open Indo-Pacific region and to respond to a China that has grown more assertive. Well, the bipartisan USIP, United States Institute of Peace Senior Study Group, SSG on China and South Asia, has developed a roadmap for the next administration to advance at least this particular part of the vision for the region. Joining us now to discuss that is Jake Stokes, Senior Analyst of China for the United States Institute of Peace, tweeting at Jacob Stokes. Jake, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Tim. This is the fourth in a series, correct? That's right. All right. So tell us, uh, just in broad brushstrokes, obviously this is an extensive report, but give us some of the important bullet points to take out of this. Obviously, it's an important region. It is one that China either overtly or I guess even covertly has been trying to exert more influence. And how are they doing so? And where are they especially making their influence known? Sure. Well, South Asia is an incredibly important region. Um, As we think about Chinese foreign policy, China wants to um, basically become more powerful in Asia. And South Asia is a critical part of that. It's home to about 2 billion people. Um, And so we're seeing Chinese influence growing um, across the region, in part through infrastructure projects, um, Chinese companies and trade, um, but also increasingly on military and strategic affairs. And that's been most Uh, We've seen most visibly um, in border tensions between China and India this year. And some of the things we uh, have talked about uh, that the study group suggests uh, we do about it um, is is for the United States to change its diplomatic approach to the region to make its policy less about responding to China, although keeping that in mind, of course, and more about engaging the states with South Asia. Sometimes we make the mistake of, going to these states and saying, well, you can't do X or Y with China. Um, But what we really need to do to be competitive is find a way to engage with those countries, India, Pakistan, and some of the smaller countries like Sri Lanka uh, and Nepal, and talk with them about how to solve and work through their problems uh, jointly. Um, In addition, we need to deepen ties with India um, across diplomatic, economic, technology, and military areas. Um, Another recommendation the group put forward uh, was to work more closely on technology issues. So we've seen uh, big debates about 5G telecommunication systems that China has put forward. We need to have an alternative to that. And then lastly, we need to compete with China um, in the consolidation of democratic institutions in South Asia. That's something the United States wants that um, although China isn't pushing for regime change, they don't want to be surrounded uh, by a region of democracies. Uh, you know, I was looking at some of the quotes in here, one from Elon Musk, of all people, talking about the foundation of war is economics. If you have half the resources of the counterparty, then you're better to be real innovative. If you're not innovative, you're going to lose. And he's speaking about the U.S. relative to China and also the Kennedy School of Government, which is talking about war, where they called the Thucydides trap, where Athens um, saw the rise of Sparta, which made war inevitable. But the U.S., you're suggesting this is not about war. This is about figuring out a way to avoid war, which is to, as you said, engage the neighbors, right? The the ones that China's trying to influence more. Yeah, absolutely. It's really about shaping what the rules of the road are uh, for governance in the whole world, um, in, you know, including in Asia. And, incre- and, you know, ultimately what the United States is looking for in that concept of a free and open Indo-Pacific is 
basically countries and people that can choose their own path um, rather than being forced uh, to uh, to kind of follow the dictates from Beijing. Um, and, you know, it's not uh, it's not all always as dark as that, but we want to basically help countries um, have that freedom and ensure that freedom, because ultimately that's going to that's going to matter for us here at home. Jake Stokes is senior analyst of China for the United States Institute of Peace. Jake, we have changes in our administrations here as we witness January the 20th of next year. Joe Biden will take the oath of office and there will likely be a shift in philosophy and language and approach diplomatically and otherwise for the new administration in China. However, we see a continuity. Is this the long range plan of China? In other words, is this something that everyone is behind and Xi Jinping is the leader of it all? Or is this something that is pretty much directed just by him? Um, well, Xi Jinping is, uh, you know, the most really the most powerful Chinese leader, probably since Mao Zedong. Um, and, and but at the same time, he represents uh, an idea about uh, where China wants to go in the world, what, what it wants to be rich and powerful, basically, uh, that's been sustained um, for a long time, you know, even before the, the founding of the People's Republic in 1949. So um, there are parts of it that are continuity and parts of it that are change. Um, but I would also say, you know, the U.S. has a consistent set of goals um, for how it wants politics uh, in Asia and the world uh, to be. And it does, you know, some of the atmospheric change from administration to administration, some of the ideas about how to implement those goals change. But there are a series of goals, um, again, relating to that free and open Indo-Pacific. It's often been called by other names, but the basic ideas are the same that get sustained over time. And so sometimes uh, there's a misconception that, uh, you know, that the United Americans are all over the place and the Chinese have one path and they just stick to it for an extremely long period of time. Um, I think sometimes that's overstated. Does the U.S. need to get back into a trans-Pacific partnership? I think so. Ultimately, um, you know, the United States has to trade with the rest of the world. Um, most of the world's consumers are outside the United States. And so the trick is to get into uh, trade agreements that are very high standards. Um, in other words, um, force people, force other countries or, or commit to having other countries trade at our standards rather than uh, trading at lower standards. And the United States can compete in that way. And so and if we, you know, American workers can compete with workers around the world. And so the Trans-Pacific Partnership was a very high standards trade deal. And you might uh, work around the edges it, uh, to change it somewhat if you were to rejoin. But ultimately, it's going to make sense. Um, in addition, uh, when we pulled out of the deal, uh, the uh, Japan's government basically took it up and pushed it forward with a number of other members. Uh, so in many ways, it's going on without us. So the question is, do we want to be do we want to have access, the same levels of access to those uh, trading areas uh, or do we want to be shut out? Um, so it's, it's not it's uh, it's happening without us. The question is, are we going to get in the game? Jake, last question. This has to do with the president-elect's choice to cabinet positions, especially the Secretary of State, Tony Blinken. One wonders, you mentioned engagement with allies or those who could be our allies. And there's also engagement with China. What's your sense of the direction they would want to go? Obviously, everything comes from the White House. But is that an area where you see some room for for some advancing of the U.S. agenda? Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think one of the fundamental differences 
um, that President-elect Biden's foreign policy is likely to have uh, with President Trump's foreign policy is really a focus um, on engaging allies and partners in advancing a set of common initiatives. Um, and so, you know, the United States is an incredibly powerful country, uh, but at the same time, if we're not engaging our allies and partners, um, we're not going to be able to counterbalance China in the way we really need to. And so um, ultimately, uh, it's really not a choice about whether we should be engaging allies and partners. It's a strategic necessity, um, but it also gives us an advantage when we do it correctly. Jake, I appreciate you spending time with us on POTUS today. Thanks so much. Thanks very much, Tim. Have a good one. You too. Jake Stokes, Senior Analyst of China for the United States Institute of Peace, their final, their fourth report on conflict dynamics in South Asia, China's influence there, and what the U.S. could and should do about this. He is tweeting at Jacob Stokes, S-T-O-K-E-S. This podcast has been brought to you by the United States Institute of Peace and Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124.